while I do a lot of Bible classes, I don't do a lot of sermons. And for some reason, when I get up here to do a sermon, my palms get sweaty, and my heart is racing, and all these different things. And I'm like, on a logical level, this is not as difficult as a Bible class, because I don't have all your difficult questions, and it's shorter, and you can't really say anything you want to me, so I just say whatever I want to, and then I sit down. But for some reason, I still get all nervous, so I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit to my, my safety boat uh, and stay down here. It's, for whatever reason, I feel a lot better. any case, I'm glad to be able to speak to you today, and hopefully we'll talk about some things that will be appropriate and helpful uh, as we all just move on through the next nine days. Nine days, what's that? Well, November 8th, which is a Tuesday, of course, is Election Day. And I know that I, I think most of us are just waiting for that day and hoping that it will come and go and then everything will return to normal. Because as you've seen, uh, the election really, if you, if, from my point of view, has in a sense really wreaked havoc in our nation. Uh, it's caused a lot of turmoil. Maybe more turmoil than uh, I've ever seen something like this ever caused. There's uh, been all kinds of divisions all kind of fighting, uh, people shouting at each other, cursing at each other, uh, brothers against brothers, families broken up over different types of things, people saying uh, all kinds of terrible things about each other. I mean, things that you would like say, well, what, why would you say something like that? Uh, the election has really brought out the worst in a lot of people. And uh, our nation, I would say, in, in summary, really has taken a beating, you could say, uh, because of these elections. Not such a great thing. So, this morning, what I want to do is talk about how we can make our nation great again. <laughs> now... Lest you believe I'm here on a political stump, which I'm not, I will refer to you 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, it's very easy for us sometimes to fall into a trap. You know, as I was speaking, right, you notice I never really said any country. Speaking of our nation, our nation is not the United States of America. Let's read this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you, were once, uh, for you once were not a people, but, you are now, uh, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When I'm talking about our nation, I'm not talking about the 50 states of the United States of America. I'm not talking about New Jersey or whatever other political government or boundary you may be thinking of. I'm talking about the nation that we are all a part of that's far more important than any other nation that's in this world, will be in this world, or has ever been in this world. And that's the holy nation of God. 
That's what we're talking about. And it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in this world. We forget that this world is not our home. Thank you for the for this song. This world is not our home. And regardless of who sits in the Oval Office, we have a king who's sitting on the throne of heaven. Regardless of you know where we are or whatever it is, we're part of a nation that transcends this earth. That's hard to remember. It's hard to remember that as Christians, we're more than citizens of the United States of America. We are Christians of the holy nation of God. Children, dear children of God, as we spoke of last week. That's a really challenging title to wear. And unfortunately, when we see this election and what this election has done, it's really taken our focus off of our holy nation in a lot of ways. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at some things that are going to help us to get our holy nation back on track. Things that we can do to make our nation great again in the light of the turmoil that I think all of us see all around us, uh, especially as a result of uh, these political times that we are in. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, with that said, one of the things that happens around election time is, and you, I think we all can agree with this, when election time hits, everybody's IQ jumps by about 50 points, at least, right? We all get really smart. And if you don't believe it, just ask us, okay? We will tell you how smart we are. I think we're all going around wearing this little name badge. Hello, I'm an expert. I will tell you all about politics. I will tell you what choice you should make, who is the best, who is the worst, Who's doing that? Who's doing this? What view is, is really the godly view? And all these kinds I'll tell you all about that. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I think we're all wearing these tags. Not so... In some ways, it's not such a great thing. And I think that we, the reason we do it is because we think we really know what's going on. You know, in our minds, we see politicians. We see... Uh, circumstances around us. We think that we know what's best. We think we know who's the best candidate. We think we have everything all figured out. And as a result, what happens? Well, if you think you know what's the best thing, what are you going to want to do? Well, you're going to want to tell people about it. And that's what we do, isn't it? Well, we tell people, well, this is what I think. This is what I know. This is the best choice that we should make. And there's nothing really wrong with that. Nothing wrong with sharing your opinions and all this sort of thing. But I think that when we think about what we're doing, we're, we're trying to share our wisdom, right? We're trying to share what we think is the smartest thing in all this. I think we need to take a second and think about what, what is wisdom? How, how should I be using wisdom? Or what effect should wisdom truly have on me? But I think of James chapter 3. So let's turn there. So let's look at some of these characteristics of those with wisdom. So our first point is going to be that we need to use wisdom. So we'll look at some characteristics of the wise. So starting in verse 13, it says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Well, all of us, right? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. 
This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. I want to just stop there for a second because I think that unfortunately most of us fall into that trap. That we feel like we are so smart, we are so wise, we know exactly what is going on, that when we start to share that sort of thing, what kind of wisdom do we use? Well, the wisdom that we just saw. We see wisdom that looks out for one's own good to the detriment of other people. That cares only for himself. We see wisdom that knows best. Everybody else is wrong. I know you think that you may know right, but trust me, I'm, I'm right. We see wisdom that, in verse 6, leads to disorder, contention, every evil thing. We really need to be more thoughtful about how we interact with people, especially when we're dealing with such a sensitive issue, such as politics. And unfortunately, we don't always do that. When we look, though, at verse 17, we see how we ought to interact with others. The things showing us how we ought to behave, how we ought to speak, how we ought to express ourselves. Notice in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is forced pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, or willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. You ever hear a political speech that has a lot of that or someone that's, that shares with you a political view that has those characteristics? It's tough. Instead of looking out for one's own good, instead of looking to the detriment of others, maybe we really need to be looking to be pure without hypocrisy. Looking to the good of others before self. I feel like that's in the Bible somewhere. Oh, it is. It? That's something that we need to be looking at. Now, are, when we express ourselves, when we behave, are we looking to really help other people? Are we looking to express ourselves without hypocrisy? Or are we looking to start trouble, contention, division, and all this sort of thing? Instead of thinking, oh, I know best, everyone else is wrong, maybe we need to be thinking more reasonably. Maybe we need to be thinking uh, well, let me truly listen to, to what other people have to say. That word there, reasonable, as I mentioned, means kind of willing to yield. When you go out and speak your political views, do you ever think to yourself, well, you know what, I might not be totally correct about this. Not a lot of people are. Now, unfortunately, that's happening even within the church. Brothers against brothers, speaking, I'm on this side, you're on this side, and it just turns into a shouting match. People not looking to make peace, not looking to have an intelligent, logical conversation, but just fighting. And as I said, this unfortunate earthly wisdom leads to disorder and contention, but really it should be leading to peace. As we see there in these verses, peaceable by expression and behavior. You know in that verse 13 there, what does it say? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. Is your wisdom being expressed in a gentle fashion? Is it making peace? As we look to the last verse there, verse 18, it says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
There's a lot of talking about this peace, isn't there? Something that we probably need a little bit more of, isn't it? I just want to talk a little bit about that since we're on the subject of peace. Explore that concept just a tad. Let's back out just for a second. Go back to the world. How many people is on Facebook? I don't need to really raise a hand, but just think about it. Pretty much, I would say like 90% of y'all is on Facebook, except for Wes, because he's shunning Facebook. But all y'all is probably on Facebook. Okay? I sometimes hate to go on Facebook because of the things that I see. And I'm going to give you some examples, because I think this really is necessary to make a point. Now, trust me, when I, when I put these up here, I want, to, I want to be pointing out, I did not take this from Facebook. I did not go on anybody's you know, personal page or whatever and steal them, okay? Not calling anybody out. Now, if one of these happens to be on your page, then so be it. But I want to let you know that. This is stuff that Christians are posting on Facebook. Let's read this. This is, this is memes. You guys probably know what memes are. You people on Facebook see these things. Did you know that one out of three Trump supporters are just as stupid as the other two? It's funny, right? This is the kind of stuff that Christians are posting. Let's look at some more. If you're voting for Hillary in 2016, raise your hand. Now use it to slap yourself because you're an idiot. This is the stuff that is being posted on Facebook by Christians. Never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. And of course, you see the graphic, what it's intended to indicate. Hillary supporters are blind sheep. What difference does it make? Man, you look at this, and, and I'm posting right, I'm putting it right here. And so you're like, wow, this is really bad. This is really harsh. This is the kind of stuff that's out there. And yet... Some of us are saying these very things. Some of us are posting these very things. Some of us have conjured up this stereotypical view of people all over the place. It's like a tsunami of insults that's just kind of overwhelming all of us as we go outside. And it doesn't just stop there, right? It's just this massive, you can't stop it. It just keeps on going and going and going and going. That's what we see Christians doing. And I ask you, ask ourselves, I guess, what are we promoting when we say these things? What am I doing when I point out, oh yeah, Hillary supporters is the same thing as a blind sheep. What am I saying when I say, oh, Trump supporters, I mean, they're, they're ignoring the facts. They don't even listen. What am I, what am I doing there? Is that productive? Is that bringing about peace? What reaction are we thinking that's going to incite when people see that? You know, some of you may be Trump supporters. Some of you may be Hillary supporters. I don't know what anyone does. And truthfully, I really don't care, so don't tell me about it. Some of you probably, you know, fall into one of these categories or the other. When I show you some of these pictures, do you get a little feeling of like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, that, that's offensive to me. Oh, you know, that, that hurts me. That's not true. You know, you feel that? Some of you that, that probably go along these lines. That's exactly the reaction that we're going to get, go ahead and incite. When we go out and we say these kinds of things, we need to ask ourselves, are we promoting peace? Are we promoting cooperation? Are we, are we promoting reasonable behavior? Are we promoting reasonable expression? Or are we promoting division, opposition, 
fighting. Us versus them. Democrats versus Republicans. Black versus white. Liberal versus conservative. The stupid people versus the smart people. The ignorant versus the well-informed. Is that what we're doing? I'm afraid so. I'm afraid that all this that we do, when we post these kinds of things and say these kinds of things, is not working together. But it's bringing us apart. And as I mentioned, this is happening. You could see this, obviously, your worldly friends, you know, they're doing stuff like this. But this is happening even within church. I witnessed the other day. It was this long argument on Facebook. Went on for hours. Brothers and sisters that claim to be Christians. Going at each other. Tearing each other up. This and that. Political views and all this kind of thing. It doesn't have to be on Facebook. Could be, could be word, word of mouth. Could be talking to each other. Is that, is that what we're here for? Is that what we're here to do? I want you to consider the early church. And we're going to be talking about promoting peace. You know, we want to make our nation, our holy nation, great again. We need to learn to promote peace in the nation and not promote division. First Corinthians, right? I want to point out something that I feel is kind of interesting, right? As Paul's, as Paul's writing to the Corinthians... You know, he says, he has this greeting in the first nine verses or so, and says, you know, I'm thanking God for you guys, praying for you guys, and all this kind of thing. Very nice. And then, you know, when you go into a lesson, or you go into, you know, talking to somebody about something, some kind of admonishment, usually what do you do? You go in hot and heavy. Bam, let me smack you with what's the biggest and most important thing. What does he do? Verse, the first verse, the first thing that he looks at in verse 10 says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you. But, you, but that should be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, think about that, just for a second. Just think about what that sounds like. You've got a group of people who is fighting, arguing, quarreling, over probably more than this. But at least what Paul says here is, well, who baptized me? Who is the best? It seems like such a silly thing to be divided over, that Paul would even need to mention this. Like, okay, guys, you know, don't line up behind Paul, me, don't line up behind Peter, don't line up behind all these people. We need to be united. We need to be behind Christ. That's where we need to be. It seems like such a stupid thing to divide over, yet think about what we divide over. Think about how we line up, how we develop rivalries and, uh, you know, frictions and, and all these kind of things, clicks between the different groups that we have within the body. This body that supposedly has claimed Christ as its head, has claimed Christ as its king. You know, when you look at it, it's not, I guess that's silly after all, that people are doing this. Because we do the same thing all the time. Though it's not behind Paul and Peter and Apollos and Jesus, but rather behind Hillary and Donald and Kevin McMullen and Gary Johnson all these other people that, I hate to tell you, in 30 years are probably all going to be dead. Another thing that we need to think about when we were talking about promoting peace 
that we take care not to slander people. That's a tough thing. You know, I, and I, I, hate, I hate to keep going back to Facebook, but it's like the easiest thing to see when you go there. What are people doing? Posting all kinds of nasty things, things that we just saw, nasty things about other people. Don't need to be there. Don't need to be gossiping about who's doing what with who or this or that and all this kind of thing. Yet, that's exactly what we see in it. You know, especially this election has been striking because when you look at it, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been around for that many elections. But this seems to be about the most negative election I've ever seen in my life. And the bad thing is that us Christians are getting caught right into it. You know, look, it's, it's really an unfortunate thing that we continue to share rumors and whispers and negative attention and all these things that we pass around just time and time again. Belittling people that, that don't go along with our views, our, our beliefs, and stirring up strife, stirring up division. For what purpose? I don't know. I'm reminded of a few verses, though, that are that stick in my mind. Matthew chapter 5 has a couple of good ones. In the Beatitudes, I remind you of kind of like the resume of what a good Christian is supposed to look like, or the mold, if you will. I want to remind you of Matthew 5, verse 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Think about that. Are you making peace in what you say? Are you bringing people together in what you talk about, in what you post, in what you think, in what you express, in what you do? Or are you doing the opposite? Because if we're not, if we're not making peace, we may be a very good Democrat, we may be a great Republican, but we are no good son of God. Matthew chapter 5, moving on, verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. How many times we call people idiots? How many times we call call people, that guy is stupid, that guy is a moron, that guy is a fool, how many times are we posting the same things? How many times are other people seeing us or hearing us make these kinds of terrible things, saying these terrible things to other people about other people? And Jesus is pretty strong against that. That's good enough to go to hell. Finally, Ephesians chapter 4. Rather than do all this, what I'll call nonsense, which is exactly what it is. Verse 29, Paul writes, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath Anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. You see the contrast there? You see how we're supposed to be with other people? That's what we need to do. We ultimately need to 
be peaceful. We need to be peaceable. Looking to make peace. Not dividing each other. Not, not having factions against one another. Regardless of whatever it might be. But we need to be together, kind to one another as we've read. The last point I'll just quickly make is this. That Christians need to be tolerant of brethren with opposing views. I will read something because uh, a friend of mine wrote this and I couldn't have said it any better. So I'm going to just steal it. This is what he wrote. Presidential campaigns are very complex. There are so many things to consider when evaluating candidates. Our perception of their character, honesty, integrity, our perception of their stands on the issues, their track record, their experience and ability. And some of our perception depends on what information we receive from the media, from talk shows, from friends, our experiences, etc. So it's really not unreasonable that Christians will support various candidates. Consider this illustration. Hillary Clinton supports abortion rights. Donald Trump has bragged about his inappropriate behavior towards women. If you support Hillary, I don't assume that you think that her stand on abortion is right. If you support Donald Trump, I don't assume that you condone his account, whether it's real or imagined, of his exploits. There is no candidate that's ideal. So we support which one, on balance, we think is better. Or the third-party candidate, or write in a name, or choose not to vote. As Christians, we need to be tolerant of brethren who support opposing candidates, and as always, be sober and prayerful in deciding how we ourselves will vote. I couldn't have said it any better myself. If we are to be a holy nation, if we are to be set apart, then we need to rise above the pettiness of our worldly divisions, of our worldly politics, of this belittlement that we find attractive for whatever reason, uh, to say, to post, and all this kind of thing, and we need to unite under Christ. Recognize that no person, no political candidate, no policy, no worldview, nothing is more important than our unity under Christ. There's no temporary politics that's worth the division in the church. I think that we can see that in the Bible. The last point I want to leave you with, this will be relatively quick. Have you ever done any people watching what they call stalking on the Facebook or on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, right? We all know what we're talking about, right? You kind of go in there, you look through all their posts, you read all, look at all their pictures and see like, oh, what's this person really about, right? You kind of pull out the, uh, the old magnifying glass or like a little detective. For some reason, it's kind of amusing, right? We do. And you can tell a lot by what someone says or does, can't you, right? You can see, oh, like, this person's posting a lot about this. You know, oh, that's the vegan over there. Oh, that's the crunchy mom. That's the liberal. That's the ladies' man. That's the conser- That's the Republican. You know, whatever it is, right? We have these labels, right, that we can, like, pull out. You know, we see all the stuff that they posted out, and we're like, bam, there's the label. Put the stamp right on it. You know, you ever thought about what others may think about you? What others may look through your posts and your images or the things that you say, the things that you do, and have a label? I wonder what that label would be. Would it be a good label? I hope so. Unfortunately, sometimes that label isn't so great, is it? The words that we say, the actions that we take, even the thoughts that we have, reflect who we really are. And they reflect who we serve, don't they? And so really, who ought we to reflect? Well, we ought to reflect our king. So if we want to make our nation great again, 
We need to start to reflect our king. How are we going to do that? Well, I'll point this out. This is something that's probably obvious to you. What you speak most about reveals what you care most about. I want to point out a verse that says basically the same thing. Luke chapter 6. I think this is going to sound familiar. sermon here in verse 45. I want to notice just this one verse here. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Notice, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Think about what you talk about the most. Think about what you post about the most. Think about what you think about the most. God says, whatever that is, that's what's in your heart. That's who you are. If all you're speaking about is politics, if all you're speaking about is, you know, which, which candidate is better or whatever, then you're a politician. But you're not a Christian. Something for us to think about. Think about how much time and effort you make to furthering your particular worldviews versus the time and effort that you make to further Christ. If someone said this, right? If everybody who spent so much time and effort on the, the election spent that time and effort on preaching about Christ or speaking about God, how much better would it have been? I mean, man, I think like 99% of the time I'm hearing about the policy of the election and all this, reading about people posting this and that. Imagine if that was all about God. If that was all about Christ. That would be like a revolution. Think about that. We were as zealous to defend and promote Christ as if we as we are to defend and promote our political candidate du jour. But even as we promote Christ, we have to do it gently and reverently, regardless, right? We see that in First Peter chapter three. Verse thirteen. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Even if our focus is where it needs to be, we need to continue to act as we've talked before, peaceably, gently, Reverence, with respect, with reason. All of these things that are this godly wisdom that we saw in James. As a holy nation, we've spoken about this before many times. We've talked about being holy. As a holy nation, we need to focus on reflecting our holy king. And that's Jesus. Spend less time worrying about earthly matters, politics, Things that truly in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years are going to be all but forgotten. Let's focus on the things that are eternal. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do to make our nation great. Again, I'm not talking about 50 states, the United States of America, the land in which we live. I'm talking about the spiritual home that we all want to be part of. We need to use wisdom. We need to promote peace. 
we need to be reflecting our true king, our true leader, Jesus Christ. I'll remind you, we'll leave you with one verse. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Hope that strikes you. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Regardless of who is elected or not elected, regardless of what policy passes or doesn't pass, regardless of who is the leader of this nation or any other nation there is, Jesus is our head and we are part of that kingdom. So let's focus on working together to make this nation as holy as it ought to be, to be the nation that God can look at with pride. So this is my children. These are the ones who call me Father. I thank you all for your attention today. And I'll tell you one thing that's good about the kingdom. There's no green card process. There's no long wait to get in. You don't have to have some kind of long application. Very simple process to get into the kingdom of God. I'm sure we've talked about it before. But if you're not part of the kingdom, we'd like you to be part of the kingdom. We'd like you to make your citizenship in heaven and not just on this rock that's flying through space. You can be baptized today if that be your desire. If you're a citizen that maybe has kind of gone astray, maybe you've uh, decided to uh, take on a second citizenship, so to speak. There's always time, well, for now, anyhow, there's always time to repent. We ask you that you do that. Whatever your need may be, we ask that if you have something, come up and uh, make that known as we stand and as we sing.